we, um, we come to our next session, and um, it's just a privilege, you know, for, for me to be introducing uh, Sarah Yardley, who um, I expected more, if I'm honest. So she, knows, she, she needs no introduction. Um, she is, our, I'm going to get this right, our ministry and mission lead. Exactly right. Yes. I've been practicing that all morning. Um, and so um, it's just, you know, just, it's such a privilege for us and um, so important for us to celebrate. Um, not only, you know, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble now, but, um, you know, Carl is like, I, I feel like Carl is, pro- is a proper manly man. 100%. Right? Echo. Yes. Um, and, um, Do you want me to say it, Simon? Go for it. Uh, I'm a womanly woman. There you go. There you go. So um, I think it's just it's important for us to celebrate that. Mm. And um, I'm going to pray, if that's okay. Yes. And um, then you're going to open the scriptures for us. Amen. Awesome. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for those who preach the gospel to us, and even more so for the gospel you've given them to preach. Boundless riches almost seem like an understatement when we consider everything good that you've given us and given us in Jesus. Father, for those who preach this incomparable good news to us, may the gospel stay ever fresh and powerful in their hearts. Lord, we pray this morning for Sarah. May your love be for her a thousand times more compelling than the applause of her friends and 10,000 times more impactful than the critics. Now we pray grant Sarah humility and joy appropriate to her calling and kindness and boldness essential for her preaching. May she tremble at your word and boast in your son. So very amen, we pray in Jesus' exalted and loving name. Amen. Amen. Man, that prayer was a preach, wasn't it? Um, Can we just say thank you to Simon Lawrenson for hosting us so beautifully this morning? Good morning. The Christian life calls us to nothing less than a whole new identity. Because of who Jesus Christ is, because of the work that he has done, we are no longer who we were. We become something wholly different. In the book of Ephesians, what we are unpacking this week over Creation Fest speaks to us, as we heard yesterday, about the wealth, the walk, And who can give a little amen to the warfare of the Christian? (laughs) I mean, man, yesterday Brian preached on the warfare of the Christian, and then I felt like I went into battle. So maybe everyone else's Sunday was beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Chapter 1 speaks to us about the fact that we have been adopted into the family of God, that we who were once orphans have found a home. And then as Carl unpacked for us in his manly way this morning... Chapter 2 begins with reminding us that all of this is a work of grace. In other words, there is nothing we ever could have done to earn God's love for us. And there is nothing we will ever do that will change his love towards us. And then, as we move into the second part of chapter 2, we look at what it means that we who were once far from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
And I want to frame the second half of this chapter with three questions that we'll be thinking about this morning. One, how has our identity changed? For those of us who belong to Jesus, what does it mean in our lives that we've been adopted and given an inheritance and that by grace we are his workmanship? How has our identity changed? Secondly, how has Jesus taken us from far to near? And thirdly, how do we live into this story? How do we take these ideas and make them practical outside of a seven-day festival where everything's branded orange, whether we live in Cornwall, Cardiff, or California? And to read scripture this morning, I've invited my friend with whom I read scripture more than any other to read God's word. So please welcome Megan Loney, who's going to read to us from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Guys, I love reading God's word, and we wanted to have fun reading God's word this morning, right? Always, always. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and Meg is going to lead us in reading that scripture this morning. Amen. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have Thank you, Jesus. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members in the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amazing. Thanks so much, Megan. One of the things I love about this passage of scripture is that it speaks of our identity and the way our identity has changed in a way that gives us all of these different pictures. I find pictures really helpful. I'm a words person. I love God's word written and I love to read, but I also find it really helpful when there are pictures of what God has done. So I'd like to give you a picture of how I saw someone's identity change recently. One of my dear friends named Abby got married a week ago. Can we just do the aw, aw? Oh yeah, woo woo, woo woo for Abby. Now, 
Abby fell in love with a man named Joe. And when Abby began to fall in love, I began to see the way that this relationship shaped her life. She was still Abby. She was still one of my very best friends. But being in a relationship with Joe began to cultivate her heart to be more honest because this person she was in relationship with wouldn't let her get away with just saying things are fine when they actually weren't. Her relationship with Joe caused her to be more hungry for the gifts of the Spirit because the way Joe loves Jesus is different than the way Abby loves Jesus. And it began to enlarge her heart. How many of you have been in a relationship, either romantic or not, that has enlarged your heart? <laughs> and thirdly, as my friend Abby began to love and trust Joe, I found that she began to love and care about things that she had never cared about before because she loved the one in front of her. And the beauty of the way that the gospel changes our identity, shapes our hearts and minds, is that God says to us these two things. One, I love you exactly as you are. And yet, as you walk in relationship with me, your heart will be expanded to love the things and the people that I love. And this passage in Ephesians, it speaks to us of five pictures of what our lives looked like without Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Remember, Paul writing to the Ephesians is saying, think back. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, if you go to any local church in Cornwall, but particularly mine, you'll know that I always defer the passages on circumcision to the male leaders in our community. I just feel like it's generally more helpful and appropriate. <laughs> but the reality of this first invitation for us to look at who we were and who we are is quite simply this. For years, the people of God had a physical mark that identified them as insiders or outsiders. And the first thing that the gospel is doing is it is saying to the Gentiles, to the outsiders, to the uncircumcised, to the ethne pagans, you are being invited into the kingdom of God and this is no longer a physical marking that will be required for you to belong to Jesus. He's saying that this is good news for all people and reminding the people of God Verse 12, that you were at one time separated from Christ. Now, the whole exploration of this passage is quite simply, there was a time when you were separate from Jesus. And for those of us who are here in this room, who know and love Jesus, let's just take a moment and be reminded, who is Jesus Christ to you? I'll tell you who he is to me. He is my hope. He is my peace. He is my savior. He is my comforter. He is my friend. He is my healer. 
He's the one who's with me at 11 o'clock last night when I was sharp to my housemate, and again at 6 o'clock this morning when I wanted to be sharp to my housemate. This passage is reminding us that there was a time when we were separated from Christ. And thirdly, we were alienated from the common wealth of the kingdom of God. Now, you're here in the United Kingdom, so you're part of a commonwealth. But I can tell you firsthand, I can relate a little bit from being alienated from the commonwealth. If you didn't pick up from my accent already, I was not born in Cornwall. To my great distress, I will never be ethnically Cornish. I'm originally from America, which means I am alienated from the great blessings of the Queen and I can receive no responsibility for Boris either. (laughs) I have to pay for the blessings of the Commonwealth. The NHS is not freely available to an alien such as myself. This passage of scripture is reminding us that there is a commonwealth that is far greater, gasp, than the commonwealth of the United Kingdom. And there is a time when, apart from Jesus Christ, we did not have the blessings of that commonwealth. It goes on to say in this passage that we were separated from the promises of God. And there's a whole separate message here, but can I just remind us today, there are great and precious promises in the word of God. If you don't have promises of God that you have claimed as your own, may I invite you today to find some promises that you claim as your own? I think we sometimes take one of two extremes with the promises of God. Sometimes we claim all of them all the time and pretend that life is just a series of rainbow sunshine unicorn moments and we're disappointed when anything real happens at all. But sometimes, particularly in a country where rain sometimes outnumbers the sunshine, where Boris is our leader, (laughs) where one or two other things might distract or discourage us, I think sometimes we forget that the great and precious promises of God's word are for us. If you don't know where to start, start in the Psalms. And may I proclaim over you today, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He will make you to lie down in green pastures. My God will restore your soul. He will lead you in paths that are right for the sake of his name. Even if you are walking today through the valley of the shadow of death, may you fear no evil, for God is with you. The reminder of this passage is that there was a time when we were without the promises of God. And then, as it says so succinctly and beautifully in verse 12, we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. And quite simply, without God is this phrase, A-T-O, from which you'll quite easily follow through that we get the word a I preach this message today with more genuine friends who are A-T-O, A-T-O.
than any other time in my life and friendships. And so I'd quite simply like to remind us of this. There are those who would say, I am without God in the world because I've never seen one I can trust. There are those who would say, I'm without God in the world because I can't believe that God exists. And this passage is reminding us that that is a real and present reality. And if you're here today as a follower of Jesus, I pray that you hear it with your heart enlarged with compassion rather than accusation. And if you'd like to explore some questions of what it would look like for God to exist, may I commend to you Andy Bannister's 2.30 p.m. session, Five Hard Questions. It'll be in the showcase venue. But this passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, it pivots at the point that we would pivot as well. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Can I hear an amen for that? I'm going to read it again. And I want the weight of these words to sink into our souls. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen and hallelujah forever. You see, the point at which this chapter pivots is it says, we were without God, we were separated, we were far from hope. And yet, in Jesus Christ, we have been brought near. I'm reading this book called A Room Called Remember by Frederick Beekner. I would recommend to you any of his writings. And he says this phrase, it would be easier for us to dismiss that God has ever existed. It would be nice if we could say he is just a fanciful idea made up by fairy tales and children. And yet in our souls, there is this longing expectation and hope that Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a nice idea, that there was a time when heaven met earth and our lives split like stars. There is in our souls the longing that the 16th century mystic and the 18th century philosopher and the 20th century dropout that the old woman cleaning the toilets and the young man sitting in a church pew still have a hope that Jesus Christ is alive and that his life has given us life as well. And this is what this passage is inviting us into. It's inviting us to say, in Jesus Christ, you who were far from God, who could never have worked hard enough, who could never have tried enough to reach him, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And just as there are five ways we are far, there are ten ways that God has brought us near. And I'm just going to read them out and remind us what these things are that Jesus has done. Verse 13, we who were once far have been brought near. Verse 14, Jesus has become our peace. Verse 14, again, he has broken down the places of hostility. Verse 15, he has abolished the law of the commandments. 
Verse 16, he has reconciled us to God. He has created a new way for us to be human. Verse 18, he gave us access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, he made us citizens of the house of God. Verse 20, he himself became a cornerstone. And verse 22, he is building in us a living house. The work of Christ is so beautiful that even a child can understand. Jesus loves you. He came near to you. And the work of Christ is so vast that we spend our whole lives unpacking the mystery of these words, the God of heaven came near to us. In my spare time, which I don't have very much of, I'm a full-time theology student, and I spent this last term studying the atonement of Christ, the way he made us one with God. I studied the theories of the atonement, the ransom, Crestus Victor, scapegoat, penal substitution model. Guys, if you want to have a sidebar conversation around the theological frameworks for the crucifixion, I'd love to do that after this session. But what summed it up best for me in a book by a woman named Fleming Rutledge who has spent 30 years studying the cross of Christ is this simple story. There was a man who sat by his sister's deathbed. He was a professor of theology at Oxford University. He knew all there was to know about the cross. And his sister turned to him and said, Will you tell me what is the cross as I'm dying? And the man looked at his sister with tears in his eyes. And he said, Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. The beauty of the message of the cross is that by the blood of Christ, Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He who was once far has come near. And can I just remind us that that nearness is both a beautiful and terrifying thing? In some ways, it might be easier if our God was far from us, if we could casually invite him to be part of our christenings, our liturgies, our memorial services. But when God is near to us, what he does is he lays a finger on the deep places of our hearts. And he says, I love you too much to leave you this way. And it says in this passage, we, people of God, we sons and daughters, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I heard this beautiful message from my friend Tiva about the blood of Christ. I would commend it to you highly if you listen to podcasts. But I just had this really simple picture that I wanted to share with you today. Two weeks ago, one of my friends was hospitalized. She lost so much blood, she almost didn't survive. And after she was hospitalized and lost the blood, sepsis set in. 
and she spent two weeks battling for her life. And by the grace of God, her life has been spared, and she and her family are here with us at Creation Fest. She's been touched in a way that has brought healing and restoration. But I don't need to tell my friend that the life is in the blood. She's just lived through an experience that has reminded her quite tangibly, the life is in the blood. And there is something about the blood of Jesus Christ, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. He's like a lamb without spot and without blemish, and he has given himself for you. And Jesus, having done all of these things, having given himself for us, he becomes the messenger of his own deliverance. And when the disciples were first gathered in the presence of the living Jesus Christ, in John chapter 20, verse 19, he breathed on his disciples, and these were the words that he said to them. He said, peace be to you. Wherever you are at in life today, may I just remind you that the word of God to us through the power of the cross is peace be to you. May I receive that for my own soul? And I'd just like to pause for a moment and ask us this question. What does God want? We're having heard who we were and who we are, what he's done and how that's changed everything. What is God asking us, his children, for? Or to say it another way, how do we live into this story? And I believe that we live into this story by choosing to walk in a holy new identity. At this point, I feel half British and half American. I'm slightly too British in the way that I say my words for my American friends, but I'm definitely far too American for anyone here in Cornwall. Like, totally for sure. I just got a manicure. <laughs> I didn't. They're ridiculously expensive in Cornwall. I still cringe a little bit every time I say the word toilet still feels a little bit dirty. I'd like to tell you that I like my new pants, but I know that's inappropriate. <laughs> I still sometimes want to take the elevator to my apartment to take out the trash <laughs> instead of the lift to my flat to dispose of the rubbish. <laughs> I'm torn between two worlds. I'm not quite sure where to sit. I know which words will cause me to be gently mocked, and by that I mean savagely attacked by my British friends. <laughs> and I'm also aware that that savage sarcasm means that they love me, right? That's <laughs> what I hear. <laughs> but when it comes to my identity in Jesus Christ, when it comes to who this chapter says that we are, verses 19 to 22, when it comes to that, I'm all in. Because here's what I believe Jesus wants and what he's describing. He wants a family. 
There's so much theology in this passage that we could spend our lives in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, and I hope that you do. But what he's describing in this passage is this. You, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens of the house of God. You, your life, has been built on the foundation of the apostles, the new words, and the prophets, the true words. You've been built on Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone of your life. You've become a structure joined together. You're growing into a holy temple in the Lord, and you are being built into a dwelling place of God by the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, I think I'm secretly Pentecostal. (laughs) Jesus says in 2 Corinthians, through the Apostle Paul, chapter 6, verses 6 to 18, we have become together the temple of the living God. And this is God's promise. I will make my dwelling among you. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so go out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. And I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. The invitation of this passage is that God is saying, I have come to make myself at home in you. If you've been around any sort of Christian context, you've heard these words, invite Jesus Christ into your heart. And I love the way C.S. Lewis describes this process. Forgive me if you've heard this before. I invited Jesus into my heart, and it sounded like a beautiful idea. And then I began to find that he took a wrecking ball to some of my walls and a bulldozer to my garden. And I came and said to him, Jesus, I've invited you in for a cup of tea. What are you doing? And the king of the universe looked at me and said, Oh, but I've moved into a shack, and I'm creating a mansion that is fit for a king. May I remind us here today that we have been invited, verse 22, to be the dwelling place of God himself by the Spirit. And if you would say, I've heard these words, I've heard that I'm meant to be the dwelling place of God by the Spirit, but I don't know what that means. I'd just like to, before we do anything else, pray for the Spirit of God to rest on the people of God. This invitation is one that is for all of us at all times and in all places. Brothers and sisters, our lives were never meant to look ordinary. They were meant to look extraordinary. And the only way that that happens is when we are filled by the Spirit of God. And so if you're here today and you are either a follower of Jesus or not yet, but you'd like to receive the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, then I invite you to just hold your hands open in front of you as a sign of welcome. And one of the prayers that I pray often, every day, ten times a day, is quite simply this. Come, Holy Spirit. May I just remind us 
that our Father gives good gifts to his children. And so if there is any here today who has not yet experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, pray, come, Holy Spirit. The prayer that God always delights to answer. And I'd like to remind you that God in his Spirit's presence is not in the earthquake or in the wind or in the fire. His presence in our lives looks like a still, small voice. And if you're experiencing God's presence with you, may I just invite you to, in the quietness of your own heart, just say thank you, Spirit, for your presence with me. Thank you that you've made me a dwelling place for your spirit to make yourself at home in my heart. And I'd just like to invite us then into a second just response, and my friends in the band are going to help me with this one. It says in this passage of scripture that we are personally the dwelling place of God by the spirit, but also that we have together been built up as the dwelling place, as the temple, not alone, but together. And look around for a second. You guys look great. You together are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. I'm going to invite my friend Noah to come out for a second. Noah is a phenomenal musician. Let's give Noah a, a really big clap. He's a phenomenal musician, and he's also getting married soon. He met his wife at a festival called Creation Fest. Is that true? Yeah, okay. Um, now, Noah's a phenomenal musician, but Noah, will, will you give us a little, little, little sample of your talents? Yeah, a little sample of your talents, please, Noah. I didn't, we, we rehearsed this seamlessly. We've spent hours on this. Just play us, play us something. Anything. Yeah, something I can dance to a little bit. No, just something. <laughs> I think that deserves a clap, right? No, it sounds pretty epic, right? I mean, like if I started leading us in worship right now, you wouldn't even miss the rest of the band, would you? Okay, um, can I get Steve out? Steve. Oh, Steve's already out. Steve already knows. Okay, um, guys, give Steve a big clap. Okay, let, let's just get a little something from Steve. You wouldn't miss the rest of the band, would you, at all? I keep, it's, it's the same. It's the same. I would start singing, but it would bless nobody. Paul. Yeah, let's give Paul a big clap. If we walk 
one by one in the gifts and calling that God gives us, we can do a little bit of what God calls us to. But when we as the body of Christ together become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, when we walk not only in unity with God ourselves, but when we walk in unity with our brothers and sisters, then we don't just have a single melody, we create the symphony. And what I'd like to remind us of today from this passage of scripture is quite simply this. If you're following Jesus and you're all by yourself in the way that you do it, you might be able to pull off one epic riff or one massive drum beat, but you won't be able to invite the world to worship in the way that you would if you walked in harmony with your brothers and sisters. And I'm going to invite our whole band to come out this morning. And I'd like you to say thank you to the incredible group of worship leaders who are here with us. And I don't want to draw attention to everyone one by one, but I'll just say to you, if Claire wasn't leading us in singing forth the praise and prophetic worship of Jesus, we would miss her voice. And if John wasn't carrying the dynamics of this band in a way that makes him a genuinely humble leader, we wouldn't know where to go. And if Esther wasn't worshiping in the battlefield, we wouldn't have any idea what it looks like to worship. And what I'd like to invite us to respond in is this way. If there's anything between you and God that needs to be made right, there is space for that today. But equally, if there is anything between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ that needs to be reconciled in order for you to walk in the calling of God, let today be a day where you say, because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done, I lay down any distraction, any burden, any resentment, any bitterness, and I say that Jesus himself, who is our peace, has caused us to be reconciled. And there's prayer team on the right and the left. And if you would like to pray with a member of the prayer team, we would love to be available to you. But sometimes this is just business between us and God, isn't it? And so as we worship today, I'd like to invite us to be led by the Spirit and to be those who walk in reconciled unity with our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.